Thank you, Alan, for that moment of joy. And now I want to invite our sister, Kim Hillman, to share the scripture this morning with us from the Holy Gospel. A reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. The translation is from the New Revised Standard Version. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Word of God, words of life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Join me as we receive our musical offering from our lovely director of music, Melinda Hale. Sorry to heaven. 
falling deep and deeper still The same voice that moved upon the waters Says come drink and have your fill In the stillness I can hear you whisper Falling deep and deeper still The same voice that moved upon the waters Says come drink and have your fill Says come drink Thank you, Melinda, for that powerful anthem. God is the God of all creation. God is the most powerful force in our life. God is what brings us here in this space together today. And as a people of faith at Harmony Toluca Lake, we are on a journey to understand who God is in our lives, who God is to each of us, and what God is calling us to do. I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning as we enter into the last Sunday of our series, Faith and Art. We've been exploring the work of artists and their impact on the world and also what it could mean and be a part of our spiritual life. And this morning, we're going to be turning our attention to an incredible artist um, that actually many people don't know that much about, which I was really surprised by. I did a little informal polling. Um, her name is Cora Kent, Sister Mary Corita Kent. Um, and even though a lot of folks don't seem to know who she was today, in her time of life, she was an incredibly um, famous artist who influenced the pop culture movement, um, who had the folks of, uh, like Alfred Hitchcock come to her classes, who really had an impact on the lives of not just um, folks in the art world, but many countless students and people of faith across the world. But before we get that, I want to revisit that gospel passage that Sister Kim brought to us this morning. You know, we all know the golden rule, right? Can I see your hand if you know the golden rule? Y'all know the golden rule. Jesus is great commandment to us, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love me. There's a lot of different versions of it in the gospel, and you can find it across um, actually many different religious traditions. This deep knowledge that the most powerful thing that we can do in our service to God is to love our neighbors deeply to love them the way that we love Jesus, to love them even more than we love ourselves. 
and to imagine the kind of profound world that we would build if we did that. But the Gospel of John passage today asks us to think a little bit more deeply about what that means. It puts a little meat on the bones of the great commandment. It calls on us to really think about what it means to be a friend to Jesus. What does it mean to be friends with the Son of God, with the great liberating Christ, to be in real deep relationship, to truly love him? This morning, as we explore the art of Sister uh, Corita Kent and her comrades, her compañeras at um, the Immaculate Heart community, um, we're going to begin to unpack that a little bit. And I'm going to invite you to think about the ways in your life God is calling you to be in deep friendship, not just admiration, not just devotion, which is a part of our faith, but in deep and abiding friendship. And my brother, Alan, I'm wondering if you can pop up the PowerPoint. We're going to we have this um, beautiful opportunity with Zoom to really see the incredible visuals of this woman's life and her art. And so I am excited to share it with you. And what I'm giving you this morning is just like a taste. Um, I really encourage everyone to visit Corita.org. Um, they've created an incredible center to her art where you can find many visuals of it and it will lighten your day. Don't do it now. Don't do it during the sermon just because you're online. Wait till afterwards. Um, so let's just hop right into it. Um, the artist Cora Kent, Corita Kent, known as Sister Mary Corita Kent during her religious life, was born and named Frances Elizabeth Kent to a working poor family in Fort Dodge, Iowa in 1918. She moved with her family when she was very young to Hollywood, California, in fact, very close to the area where our uh, main campus is in Hollywood. And she was educated in Los Angeles and Catholic schools. At the age of 18, at the tender age of 18 in the 30s, she joined the Sister of the Immaculate Heart um, and took the name of Mary Corita. Mary in honor of the Mother of God and Cora, her second name, Corita, meaning little heart. Now, like many nuns in her order and many nuns of her day who entered into religious life, she was immediately assigned to teaching. Um, many nuns at that time were assigned to teach in parochial schools. She was able, unlike many of her sisters, to pursue a bachelor's degree at USC College and graduated. And when she completed, she went to Canada to teach for a short while um, in primary schools there. But she was called back to the order because of her many gifts to teach at the Immaculate Heart College in Hollywood. And at that time began pursuing a master's degree in art history um, while beginning her teaching as a college professor. Now, the Immaculate Heart College, uh, the Immaculate Heart of Mary College, which is located or was located um, right in the area of like uh, Franklin and Western, the Los Feliz area, that's where the high school is, was an all women's college in the heart of Hollywood, known for its talented professors. One quote that I heard in a documentary I watched was that the sisters and women who taught at the Immaculate Heart of Mary College had more degrees between them than all of the priests serving in leadership in the archdiocese combined at the time. They were known for being rigorous, really demanding of their students, creative and very liberal at a time when women and their roles and their futures were tightly controlled by gender normatives. The college was run by the order to which Sister Mary Corita belonged, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which had more than 400 members um, who, and who entered into religious uh, life and were living in Los Angeles, California and serving in multiple places. Alan, you can switch to the next slide. 
Now, Sister Mary Corita was extremely talented, and she quickly rose up the ranks of the art department as she continued to pursue her master's degree at USC. In fact, it wasn't long before she was asked to lead the department. She was known for the demanding tasks that she gave to her student. Very infamously, you can find quotes about this pretty much anywhere. Um, she would ask her students to go home and come back with 100 sketches for the next class or 200 sketches. And they'd be like, there's no way we can do 200 sketches between now and then. And she believed in them and they would come back and they would have completed the work. And she posted these 10 rules, which now have really spread all over the world, right? Um, which I think are a really beautiful way about thinking about art. Um, and, and I think when you look at these, what they really encourage you to do is to find a place where you center yourself in the work that you're doing and trust that God is filling you and leading you. And don't be so consumed and anxiety driven by the final product that you are unable to do the work on the path that you're in. Rule number one, I think is really powerful. Find a place you trust and then try trusting it for a while. Right. So once you find that location that you can work from inside, allow yourself to trust it for a while. And rule number seven is about the work of art. The only rule is work. If you work, it will lead to something. It's the people who do work all the times who eventually catch on to things. Rule eight, don't try to create and analyze at the same time. They're different processes. Right? And so many of us have been in that place where we block our creativity by beginning to be critical and analytical about it immediately. And I like nine and 10 too. I just have to lift them up. Nine, be happy whenever you can manage it. Enjoy yourself. It's lighter than you think. For me, I take that as don't take yourself too seriously. Enjoy the work that you're in while you're in it. It's not always easy, but there's something coming to you from it. And rule number 10, we're breaking all the rules, even our own rules. And how do we do that? By leaving plenty of room for X quantities by John Cage. We are allowing the world to enter us and to change us. And this is how we understand the Holy Spirit in our lives too, right? That we are going about our business, but if we leave the door open for that X quantity of the Holy Spirit, it will enter us and change us and transform us in ways that we cannot expect. Jesus comes into our lives and he breaks all the rules when we open the door for his love and for his friendship. Next slide. Now, Corito was extremely popular. Sister Mary Corito was extremely popular. And I love this picture here. It's so like classic 1950s. Um, she was still in graduate school when she decided to take up the art of stereograph, the screen printing. And ostensibly she did this to uh, satisfy a requirement for one of her courses. And she ordered the kit, right? And it was mailed to her. She took a few lessons on basic operation of the device from another artist. And then she became largely self-taught. And screen printing or stereograph became her mode of art making for much of her career. And there's a real spiritual and theological inflection in her choice of this. The stereograph had a populist aspect to it. You could teach people how to use it easily. You could print many things, large quantities of things quickly and make art inexpensive and very accessible to the masses. You could continue to layer on in the process of screen printing one layer of paint after the other and completely change your work as the spirit was moving you. And Sister Corita meant for her work to be consumed. It was an expression of her faith, her belief in God's love and justice. 
She wanted her work to be out there. And it's a hallmark of her career. As you look at her in this habit with these wonderful women of the 1950s, I look at this picture and I'm like, who did these ladies go out to be into the world when they graduated? Um, but it became a hallmark of her career to reject the rarefied aspect of art, you know, this idea that it should be um, expensive and difficult to consume and very elite, and instead attempted to create an art that would speak to people in deeply powerful and spiritual ways, and in a way that people could consume and grow from. This is in 1951. Okay, so she gets the stereograph in 1951 and teaches herself. Next slide, please. This is in 1952. This piece is called The Lord is With Thee. She creates this incredible um, work of art that depicts uh, the Holy Family and the apostles and Jesus and um, all of these things um, as a way of expressing her faith. And she enters it into a number of contests where it is winning prizes all over the place. It is a break from traditional iconography. You know, if you can imagine our usual depictions, like this is for us seeing this now is not a shocking piece of art, right? We've seen many artists begin to depict um, God and Jesus and the disciples and Mary and the Holy Family in a lot of different ways. But up until this point, the art coming out of the church and even the art in the mainstream depicting religious life was very iconographic, very traditional, you know, think Renaissance style, you know, very recognizable people this piece of work became radical um, and caught the attention, not just of the art world where they either loved it deeply or hated it, but also the attention of the Cardinal of Los Angeles at that time, Cardinal McIntyre, who found it blasphemous um, and was deeply disturbed by this. She continued to create art and to push boundaries and we can switch the next slide the next several years during the 50s. And much of her art during this time is really figurative. It's religious. She wants to express faith. This painting is beautiful. Um, I love it. It's called Word Picture, A Gift of Tongues. And what does it, what do you guys think it depicts? Drop it in the chat. What are you seeing here? All these folks laying around, hanging out. It's a beautiful red color. All art is interpretive, but this is the Pentecost, right? Yeah. That's right. Next slide, please. And this is called The Plan of His Heart in 1960. So she's making these just sort of incredible different ways of looking at God, knowing Jesus, and her reputation is growing, um, not just within the religious community who is consuming it, but the art world. You know, and, and I just, you know, want to point out that first painting, that award-winning painting is 1952. It's one year after she takes up the serograph, which she teaches herself, screen printing. So she is growing. She is changing. Her art is creative and powerful. It's being received all over the world by both the secular and religious community. But with every painting that she releases, every work of art that she puts out that challenges the normatives of how God should be depicted, um, the archdiocese and the leadership here begin to have a very strong reaction and seek to control Corita and her art. Um, and this is a really challenging time and a really important uh, thing to understand. You know, Sister Corita is part of this um, 
this religious order, she has taken the vows of a nun. Um, and she, it is a 400 person strong community that runs this incredible college that people are dying to send their kids to. It's really powerful. It's really liberal. It's very excellent school. And they do not readily submit to the authority of a cardinal that wishes to control them. And I, and I have to wonder myself as a woman, a woman of faith, a woman in ministry, you know, was there some feeling of being threatened in the hands of this leadership that a woman was, had the audacity to depict Jesus in a way that folks had not yet um, seen before, to open people's eyes in a way that perhaps he had not been able to. I don't know. I don't have the cardinal's thought, but I think there's probably a real spiritual struggle happening here. Next slide. Now, Sister Carita's work changes radically in 1962 for a couple of different reasons. As the archdiocese seeks to control and constrain her work, they also offer her an edict. She can no longer in, um, depict the Holy Family in her work. They try to control her and stop her from depicting the Holy Family in her work. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm not even going to offer analysis on that. I'm going to let that sit with you and think about what it would mean for your religious institution to tell you how you can or cannot think of God and God's family and all these pieces. And the second thing that happens at that time is that um, Sister Corita goes to a museum in Los Angeles and she goes to the Ferris Gallery and she encounters Andy Warhol's soup cans. And it opens her eyes to a new way of communicating and painting, and it radically changes um, the shape of her work. And she produces this work called Wonder Bread. Now y'all see the colors here, right? They are very similar to the Wonder Bread uh, colors of the packaging. Oh, go back one, go back one, Alan, still on the first one. But I wanna draw your attention to the shapes of this Wonder Bread in this Wonder Bread painting. What does that look like to you, those circular pieces? Does it remind you of anything? Oh, Kelly, I like that. Rolling Stones, Anna. All these things are possible, but for, um, for Sister Corita, it was the host. Now in the Catholic church, and actually even in our church at times, we serve sometimes the communion in the form of a wafer, a circular flat wafer, right? And so Sister Corita takes this very recognizable color imagery, the branding of Wonder Bread, which has little circles on it, and she turns it into the host right? And the Holy Host, the Eucharist. And she thinks of, and Wonder Bread really, it's like the white bread, it's the bread of the masses, right? It's the cheapest, it's the bread that's most accessible. And she tells the story of Jesus, I think, in this, in this painting. And I won't, I'm not going to try to explain these paintings to folks, because I think everyone, my, my experience of art is that you should take from it what you need to take from it. And it changes for you over time, right? That's our experience of art, music, poetry, the Bible, even we learn from it in different times. But for her, this was definitely the host, right? The holy host. Now we can go to the second, second slide, Alan. Um, at the same time as this is happening, there's a cultural revolution beginning to happen too. It's the beginning of the 1960s and Pope John um, the 23rd convenes the Vatican II, which is a profound moment in the life of the Catholic church and actually the global church, not just Catholics, where an intense work is undertaken to begin thinking about how we modernize an institution that is so rooted in medieval um, ways of worship and practice. The mass was in Latin, 
Women were not allowed to be in altar guilds. Um, nuns lived, uh, you know, in cloistered lives and full habit. Like it opened so many things. And so there's a revolution brewing both in the church and in the community um, and in the world. And in 1962, she also re releases this enriched wonder bread. And her art becomes known both for this powerful um, use of very recognizable commercial um, kind of um, symbols and visuals, you know, like this looks like Wonder Bread, it's going to catch your attention, you think you know what it is, and then invites you to dig deeper. And she uses a lot of words. And I'm going to read this to you because I'm sure it's hard to read on the screen. And what the text says that she hand letters says, great, it says, enriched bread, wonder, great ideas, it has been said, come into the world as gently as doves. Perhaps then if we listen attentively, we shall hear amid the uproar of empires and nations a faint flutter of wings, the gentle stirring of life and hope. Some will say this hope lies in a nation, others in a man. I rather believe that it is awakened, received and nourished by millions of solitary individuals whose deeds and works every day negate frontiers and the prudest implications of history. As a result, there shines forth fleetingly the ever threatened truth that each and every man on the foundation of his suffering and joys builds for all of us. Help build strong bodies 12 ways, standard large loaf, no preservatives added. I'm gonna drop that in the chat because I think it's such a powerful piece. Next slide. So, you know, we look at these pieces of art and we think bread right, or faith. Um, and the Cardinal McIntyre looked at this and he looked at Carita and he saw a nun, a woman, an artist consistently breaking boundaries, um, becoming more famous, moving the church away from traditional control. And it is very clear that he felt threatened. Um, and over and over, he begins to attempt to assert control into the lives of both Corita and her art, um, and also into the order to which she belongs, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to note that, um, you know, the Los Angeles Archdiocese is one of the most powerful in the country, in the world. Um, and this man, I think we want to, we also want to approach him from a very faith-filled perspective. I think he was probably living in some fear of what it means for the church to change. And we as a congregation are really invested in that, con that conversation about what it means for the church to change, what it means for us to be able to receive the spirit of God, to be deeply friends with Jesus, and to seek a new world, right? To seek um, a faith that embodies and embraces all people. And this is a hard work for us in this moment. And it was a hard work for the Cardinal at that time. And Sister Corita was helping to lead the way. Her art continued to blow up and she produced this. It's called Adam, A-T-O-M. And um, it's really controversial. Um, if you look at the word, it looks like tomato, right? And so um, Sister uh, Corita was playing on this sort of like old school slang about like, a great woman, um, which was to call them like a tomato. <laughs> and she called the sister, she called the mother Mary, like the juiciest tomato of all. And that line is embedded in this piece of artwork. 
And the Cardinal just blew up. He became um, enraged and he went to the college and had a conversation with them, which ended with them saying, you will suffer for this. Um, and it became very clear, um, clearer probably than ever that at that moment, that the, the sort of like faith led work of the sisters and that organization was going to become a target of the diocese. Next slide, please. So I think this is a place where I wanna sort of step back and, and remind us that the work of Sister Corita and the Immaculate Heart Sisters is one that is deeply rooted in love. And how many of you have seen this before? This is one of her famous prints. Love is repeated over and over and over again as the works of faith and justice in all of Sister Corita's works. And it shaped her ministry, um, it shaped her expression, and um, really is embedded in our pop culture. You know, I posted this on Facebook last night. And I said, you think you don't know her, but you know her. If you haven't seen this, you've seen something like this that's been inspired by her. Next slide. Now, Sister Mary's uh, Corita's work cannot be understood outside, I think. I mean, she stands on her own as a world-shaping artist. There are dozens of books written about her. Her work has been displayed in every major um, museum. It's been taken on tours at her time. In her time, she was on the cover of the Christmas edition of Newsweek magazine. I mean, she was like, she was famous, right? But her work happens inside the context of her sisterhood. The Immaculate Mary, uh, the 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 um, uh, sisters of the um, uh, the heart of Immaculate Mary, right? She she is teaching at this university, and it is run by these women who are teaching other young women to have rebellious hearts led by faith, to be creative and to be powerful. And every year there's a day where they celebrate um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Previous to the picture this year, it had been a very solemn day um, where everybody wore like their caps and gowns and they carried lilies. And the nuns are quoted as saying, this is pretty dreadful. It's pretty <laughs> tired. Let's let it reflect our community. And so they turned it over to the art department and they gave the young women their power. And this becomes their reflection and celebration of God. They center it in the issues of world poverty, and hungry, uh, world poverty and hunger. And you can see the signs they're saying that say, give us this day our daily bread. They put flowers in their hair and they celebrated Jesus and his life. And um, one of the quotes, uh, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And one of the quotes that comes out of that celebration comes from one of the other sisters of the order. Um, and she said, um, Sister Helen uh, Kelly said on Mary's day, um, from, from in front, right? This is all being on the news, by the way. Like none of this is private. This is like a big celebration. It's making all kinds of news. She says, what does Mary, oh Mary, so loving and sweet have to do with revolution? Oh, only everything. I cannot believe that the woman chosen to be the mother of God wasn't as concerned as a human could be about the problems which brought her son to earth. The Cardinal thought it was blasphemous and offensive to the faithful, and he began to um, do his work to dismantle this organization. So you can move to the next slide. Um, so, you know, this is a really, uh, and, and there's here's some of these beautiful young women. Um, and once again, I invite you to imagine um, how these women have gone on to lead in their lives and what it felt to be empowered by faith and be taught that faith is justice and faith is love and that creativity is an expression of the Holy Spirit. Next slide. 
So, you know, a, a period of great change began. Um, and, you know, Sister Cora's um, art, Corita's art really reflects and begins to change um, and reflects the times around them. Um, as the, the time passes and we enter into the late 60s, her work begins to change and take on a much heavier political tone, still using the incredible colors and expressions of her faith. And um, the sisters and her order at the college and the schools also began to um, embrace the fight that comes out of Vatican II to examine their community and choose to pursue um, a faith tradition, a faith expression that reflects who they are as modern women. Um, and both of these things become very difficult for the established church to handle because the established church doesn't change easily. Next slide. Um, this particular piece comes out in the year between 1968 and 69. Um, it's part of a series called Shiros and Heroes. And you can see how um, assertive this piece is. Um, this is after the assassinations of Dr. King and Robert F. Kennedy. It's in the midst of the Vietnam War. And if you look at the first line, the word assassination is broken up into ways where we see the sin of our nation, where we see the sin of violence. Now the Catholic diocese and the church, our church during this period was very conservative. And this kind of work um, from the religious order was not received well by some, but the students and the young people and the, the traditions that she was living in embraced it and lived into it. Next slide. Next slide. These works are incredibly powerful. And she's really one of the first artists, like she's in the moment producing these depictions of the sorrow um, and the tragedy of the loss that is happening during this time. And it's defining of a generation, not just a generation, really our nation, 1968, 69, 70 becomes a tipping point. And, you know, I was raised of course in the eighties here and we were shown these pictures of these times in black and white and they made us think it was a hundred years ago instead of 20 years ago. It is not so long ago that these folks marched in the streets and called for change. Their children, their partners are alive and they were led by their faith. The problems and difficulties of those times have not resolved themselves. And so the question remains in front of us as people of faith, where are we called to be? What does it mean for us to be friends of Jesus? What does it mean to choose to lay down your life for your friends? Next slide. And I think this is a beautiful um, portrait of Cesar Chavez who was leading the farm workers movement here in Los Angeles at that time. Next slide. Next slide. I just wanna give you a little taste of some of the beautiful works that come out. Now, Sister um, Mary Corita Kent elevated faith and, and created artworks that were accessible to so many people um, by employing beautiful colors, messages of faith, messages of justice and love. But there was a price to pay for that. 
Um, as her gospel work and her uh, message grew, her the resistance from her own tradition also grew, not from her sisters, from the Catholic diocese. In 1968, she was exhausted and chose to take a sabbatical. And she left for a year to Boston and she never returned to California. At the end of that year, she decided to renounce her vows and to enter into secular life for the first time as a woman in her 50s. She continued to cre uh, create powerful art, uh, much of which I'm gonna show you a few more slides, um, went out into the world and, and, and including like, you know, the painting of a water tower. I mean, like one of the largest copyrighted pieces of art in the world. Um, and she battled cancer on and off for years and finally um, passed away in 1986 leaving behind her a really powerful legacy of visual art. At the same time that her life was changing, the life of the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart were also changing. Um, go ahead and go to the next slide. But she and they really continued to express this deep legacy to be of love, um, a little more careful than of everything. I love this so much. Next slide. And maybe you've seen this stamp, but it was commissioned and finally printed in the early 80s. And um, to this date has sold more than 700 million copies and graced the envelopes of folks. Love is hard work. You can take the screen off now. Now, Corita Kent, built her career around expressing her deep love for God and for humanity. And she was celebrated for it. She was acknowledged for it. I think it's um, in her time, I think it's no mystery that we don't know that much about her now and only hear about Andy Warhol because she was a woman and she was a religious woman working from a perspective of faith in a very male dominated um, industry, right? We know this, women artists everywhere. <laughs> Um, but also her message was extremely consistent. It was about the radical nature of love and the transformative power of faith. And that faith changes us in a way that we must also act. Um, I said early on that we can't separate her story from that of her sisters, and we cannot. At the same time that um, Corita's work was being challenged, their work was being challenged. At that time, Cardinal McIntyre was known as a church builder. He built hundreds of schools maybe not hundreds, but he built many, many schools across Los Angeles and did not have the teachers to staff them. And so he turned to the nuns and put them into the schools. They were not paid. Um, some of them had 80 children in their classrooms. Many of them had not even completed their college education. And so as her order, um, the Sisters of the Immaculate Heart began to change, began to embrace Vatican II, began to really fight for what they wanted in their own religious community, which included being able to determine what time of day they pray, not having to retire to quiet quarters at 6 p.m., being able to like go out into the world and embrace political and social activism, which was really crucial to them, and the desire, the collective decision to be able to modernize their habit so that there would not be this barrier between them and the people that they serve. Um, became really challenging for the diocese. They also decided that they needed to be able to control their classrooms and in order to serve their children well, not have classrooms for more than 40 people. And the Cardinal decided to enter into a massive fight with them that went all the way to the Vatican. 
um, challenging them and telling them that it, of all of the things that were happening inside their order, all of the ways they were seeking to modernize and be one with their students, that if they refused to wear the traditional habit, they could no longer teach in the parochial schools. Now, one of the nuns in this incredible documentary called Rebel Hearts, which I totally recommend you visit and watch. It's a really fun. It's on Discovery Plus. She said, you know, the habit was a symbol for him that he could control us um, and that he owned us, but he did not. You know, they belonged to God. And so they refused. And they were informed um, a few years after Sister Corita um, dispensed of her vows that they should, they could either submit to the authority of the cardinal or they could cease to be sisters. Um, and this was an, an un, sort of unimaginable choice. If you can imagine dedicating your life to God um, at the age of 18, um, living an intentional community, never earning your own money, never having income or pension, teaching in schools for 50 years, what would happen to you if you chose your faith, what God was calling you to do, to be deeply embedded in the community of justice, to be friends with Jesus, right? Or the rules of the diocese, which would cause you to turn your back on the revelation that God has been revealing to you about where the church should be going. There was over a period of months, these sisters took a vote and of the 400 plus it was right around 400 women who lived in that order, who ran the high school, the college, and worked in the parochial schools. 325 voted to dispense of their orders so that they could continue to live the life of faith that God was calling them to. And one of the women in the documentary that I watched that was interviewed said, imagine being 48 years old, no longer having a place to live, having been turned out of your job in the parochial school, not having a cent to your name. Where do you begin? And thus began the new chapter of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, a new uh, religious uh, life together that was not under the vows of the church, but was Catholic and now has become ecumenical. And they celebrated their 50th year last year, doing good works in our community, training young people, living life to the fullest um, in their faith. And I'm not gonna tell you how they survived and all the things that they did. Go watch that documentary, it's really great. But what this illustrates for me in the context of today's gospel, and I'm gonna bring this to a close now. I told, I told Alan to be, I think it's like 12 minutes, but we all know when I preach not 12 minutes, we have a lot of pictures to look at, okay? <laughs> you know, these, these women had a choice, Sister Corita, the sisters of um, this community, right? They could be faithful to this, not faithful, they could be, yeah, they could be faithful and obedient to the church or they could be faithful and obedient to the Holy Spirit and God. And so oftentimes when I've seen this message from John that we received today, this text, you know, um, that there's no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I have struggled with it because I know that the grace that the gospel gives us, the grace that Christ provides us comes without cost for us. It is given freely. We receive it not because we deserve it, but because we need it. But I also know that when the Holy Spirit conflicts us, when we embrace it, when we allow it to change us, when we truly become friends with Jesus and not just acquaintances, we get hungry for something different. And it often calls us to change something substantially in our lives. 
so that we can live into that calling. And these women chose to live into that calling. And the fruit that they bore is all around us all the time. The Immaculate Heart High School is still there. Sister Corita Kent had a day in her honor named in 2019. Her art is every place. And when I opened that documentary to watch it in the first two minutes, I was shocked to see that the woman they were interviewing is someone that I've known for a long time in the movement for justice in Los Angeles. I had no idea her backstory, but she has been a teacher of mine. The fruit continues to bear when we do the work that we are called to do, even when it's hard. So being friends with Jesus isn't always easy. It's not always picnics and going to the music movies and, you know, chatting, you know, like, um, you know, on the text, right? Sometimes we have to do a little bit more. Sometimes the cost is a little higher than we thought. But the love that is born from it is immeasurable. So I invite you to visit the website, Corita.org, to check out um, the documentary Rebel Hearts. I got a lot of information from both those places and a number of other sources. I put those in the chat. The Rebel's Hearts is on Discovery Plus um, and uh, definitely watch it. Um, but it doesn't have to be so far away. The Corita Kent Center is in Hollywood. And when COVID's over, you can visit her work. The women who are part of her community, the Immaculate Heart community that like, continues are doing work in LA as we speak around issues of justice, poverty. They march in the marches, they train young women, they have whole families in their community now. They even have women priests. They are changing the world. So it's not history, it is the now. And with that, I wanna thank everyone who has joined us for worship today. And I want to move us into our question of the day. So we're gonna cease our recording now. <laughs>